Roman, step 12. Yes, yes, yes. Alright, Romans 12. Okay, can you put a little one on it for me, please? Romans 12, continuing on our study of what the scripture says about transformation, right? Let's read these verses together, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Ready? Begin. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Right? So we just sang a song that was really a song of declaration and a song of prayer. Mold me, shake me, right? Make me more and more like you. That's just code for what? Transformation. That was a transformation song, a metamorphosis song. And Romans 12, right, verse 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be what? Transform, metamorphosis, by the what? Renewing of your mind. Renewing of your mind, which means predominantly it's going to come through the Scriptures. We're going to be challenged and taught what God's Word says, but then we're going to be challenged to develop and appropriate and live according to what? A biblical worldview. Which means, which means, guys, we're going to be challenged to change. If you want transformation, and, and I've asked this several times this year, how many of you want transformation? Pretty much 100% of you put your hands up. If you want transformation, you're going to have to accept on the very front end that it's going to require change. It's going to require change. You cannot expect transformation to happen if you are unwilling to change. Right? They often say, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Right? And sometimes as believers, we get frustrated, we get discouraged, we get even maybe angry at God or angry at the church because we don't seem to be growing. We get bored. We become apathetic. We become spiritually lethargic. And if someone says, well, what's wrong? Well, I'm, I'm reading my Bible. I'm doing all this. Stuff. Well, yeah, you're doing a lot of the mechanics but you're not doing anything with it. You're not, you're not doing anything with it. And here's the thing. We talked last week that, that a very vital component of your transformation, of my transformation, is the emotion, the experience of joy. Transformation should be a joyful thing. Change, to be more and more like Jesus, should be a joyful thing. So turn to the person next to you and say, it should be joyful. Now, turn to the same person and say, but it might be painful. Right? It will be painful. Because how many of you here just embrace change? Yeah, yeah, see, see, see. Okay, how many want to be transformed? How many embrace change? Oh, now I'm conflicted. They go hand in hand. 
So you're going to have to not just intellectually assent to it's a good thing. You're going to have to buy into it emotionally, experientially, that it's a joyful thing. That, that, that it's not just good for you because, you know, so-and-so says so. No, you have to embrace it. You've got to jump in. It's got to be an all-in moment. You've got to say, this is good. I, I'm, I'm. Circumstances aren't always good, but I'm joyful in this. I'm joyful, right? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Anyone? Well, it's scriptural, isn't it? Because it's not about the circumstance. It's about what God is doing in you through the circumstance. But at the human level, we often live in circumstance. Transformation is supernatural. Transformation is above and it's something God is doing in and through me and you, despite and in the midst of circumstances. But we also we often get bogged down in the minutiae, in the details of, of bills and relationships and this and health and this and this. And, and God says, hey, no, 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 count it all joy. Well, how is that possible? Because of what God is doing in you through it. It's the joy of the Lord is our strength. Remember that from last week, right? Turn to Nehemiah 8.12, back in the Old Testament, all right? Nehemiah, we saw in Nehemiah 8, Israel had come back. They had built the walls. They asked Ezra to, to read the Word of God, the law. He read from sunrise to about noon. That's one massive church service, just reading the law, right? The Levites are out there. There's like 50,000 people. The Levites are out there, and they're explaining the scriptures to the, to the people just because Ezra's up on this platform. The word goes out for like five or six hours. And here's the crazy thing, the supernatural thing. God moves. God moves. Not with the PowerPoint presentation, not with... Not with fancy slides, not with funny jokes. Simply by Ezra reading the Word of God, the Israelites are profoundly impacted. Profoundly. And in Nehemiah 8, let's look at verse 9, right? Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, that this day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. He's like, hey, hey, hey. According to Leviticus and Numbers, this is Yom Teruah. This is a, this is a feast day. God says this is what we're supposed to do today. I know you've been, you've, been, you've been convicted. I know you're like, oh, how can we do that to God who's been so good to us? So there's this big repentance and this conviction and this heaviness that comes up. And yet Nehemiah says, hey, 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 hey. No. According to Leviticus and Numbers, this is a day sacred. We have to obey what God wants us to do today. And he says, right there, very specifically, Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing heard. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. What is the joy of the Lord from last week? Being in His will, walking in obedience, doing what brings Him joy. How many of you 
have ever, uh, on the beginning of a day or maybe the night before, set your agenda for the next day? Anyone ever set your agenda for the next day? Well, you, yeah, but anyone other than Burr set your agenda for the next day, right? How many of you have set your agenda, whether it's regular practice or just a one-off, and you stuck to it? Sort of. But, but in general, you stuck to it, and you felt good as you were going through the day. There was a feeling of fulfillment. There was a feeling like, I'm getting stuff done. There was a feeling of accomplishment. There was a joy because you were in step with what had been planned. That's what we're talking about, the joy of the Lord, is being in step with His will. In the same way, when you make a plan for the day and you're in step with it, you feel pretty good. And then what happens at the end of that that day? You go to sleep. That was a good day. And the basis of that good feeling, that that comfort, that, that joy, was that you stuck to the plan pretty much. As a believer, the joy of the Lord is walking in his plan. And feeling good throughout the day. And then at the end of the day, hey, well done, good and faithful servant. You walked with me today. That's the transformation. And that's where it happens, right? And then let's look at, look at verse 11. The Levites calmed all the people saying, be still, for this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate what? With great what? And here's the reason for their joy. Look at it. Because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Wow. The basis of their joy was that the law had been preached. They got it. They knew not just where they had drifted and and what brought them to the present circumstance, but they also understood what they were supposed to be doing. And they were doing it. And they laughed with joy with joy. And I, I, I love that. Right? Look at that. Verse, verse 12. They left to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the word that had been made known to them. You know who lived this? You did. You know when you lived this? About half an hour ago. Maybe 40 minutes ago. When I shared with you that your name is written in heaven. Some of you, that just lit your fire this morning. The truth of God's word went forth, and you went. You didn't see it. I get, see, I get the privilege of seeing it. And some of you shouted, some of you clapped, some of you were like, woo, that's right. You experienced what they experienced because the word of God went forth, and you understood it for you. You appropriated it. My name is written in heaven. Boom. Joy. You didn't have to manufacture it. You didn't have to, we didn't have to play special music to make you feel it. I just said, hey, your name is written in heaven. Amen? See, Mike smiled. He says amen and he smiles. It's like, you can't even help it. Right? I mean, a lot of you guys said, your name is written in heaven. Amen? Like, it just goes, amen. Or amen comes out halfway through. Or the smile comes out halfway through. Then, man, you know? What are you doing? You're understanding God's word, and it's creating joy. Because you believe it. If you do. If you do. And we're going to see today that there's a huge connection between joy 
and faith. Joy and faith, all right? Let's turn to Romans. Let's turn to Romans. Romans 15. Romans 15. Apostle Paul, kind of a prayer to the church, the believers at Rome. Look what he says. He says something really cool. Look at his prayers. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all what? Joy and peace as you trust in him. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That word fill is filled to the brim. It's like being filled with the Spirit. Being so filled that it controls you. Okay? Where it says all, it means all possible. God's not holding anything back. All possible. Right? Look, it says, may the God of hope fill you with all, what? Joy and peace. And here's the kicker, what? As you trust in Him. Faith. Faith. There is a direct link between my joy and your joy and faith. Faith defined biblically, not just mental ascent. Right? As you've seen your notes there, I believe I put it there. Right? So I put the definition of joy. Look at joy in your notes. A deep and abiding inner rejoicing, which was promised to those who abide in Christ. We're going to look at this in a few weeks ahead. You know in John 15, 11, Jesus says, hey, I've told you this so that my joy, Jesus' joy, may be in who? When was the last time you thought, and you, the biblical truth, is that Jesus wants his joy to be in you? What? This is Jesus' own words. I told you all this so that my joy, Jesus speaking, may be in. Is it? Isn't that crazy? Jesus says that he wants his joy, the joy he has, to be in us, his children, right now. Not when we get to heaven, right now. Right? It says it does not depend on circumstances because it rests in God's sovereign control over all things. And then this word trust, here's the definition, total commitment, complete confidence. It's a present tense verb. It's about your practice, your lifestyle. In the end, it's to act on what you know. You are all right now demonstrating a word picture of biblical faith. If you're like, well, what does that mean to act on what you know? What does that mean to be totally committed? Right? What does it mean that it's not just intellectual sense? You are all right now exercising what we're talking about. And you're like, what are you talking about? Here's a greater example. Lift your feet off the ground. Did anybody here, has anyone in the last hour experienced great worry and anxiety that that pew was going to collapse? Did anybody here even question before you sat down? Probably not. Did anyone test it? Are you sitting here doubting? Are you worried? Are you fearful? And it's all just going to... No. You're at, how many of you are at peace right now? 
Leave your stomach not in knots. Do not tie it up mentally. Do not, your neck not stressed. Some of you are so relaxed in the few, you fall asleep. That is how much you trust the few. Wouldn't it be great if we had that sense of peace with the Lord? That you rested like that in your daily life. So much that you might just fall asleep because you know He's got you. That's the joy. That's the joy. That's what we're talking about. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him. This is faith, guys. This is acting on what you know. This is when the rubber meets the road, when we say, ready, break, and we go out from here. This isn't only in the context of 9 to 1030 at church. This is His prayer for the believers as they are living their life. That they would overflow, that joy would abound as they are living their life trusting Him. Trusting Him. Right? I love the... Um, let me give you the, uh, the new living translation of this. It says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Anybody want to overflow with confident hope? Wow. And I'll tell you what, it's not just for your benefit, but there's a world out there and the craziness of where we are right now, they need to see people overflowing with confident hope. That's the testimony. The testimony is you overflowing with confident hope. But, let's keep going back, go backwards in the verse. That comes from what? Trusting. That comes from obedience. That comes from acting on what you know. I love the, uh, the Phillips says this. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in your faith, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, your whole life and outlook may be radiant with hope. Your whole life and outlook may be radiant with hope. How are you doing? Or I should ask, what are you radiating? Right? What's the basis of it all? What's the basis of the feeling to overflowing? Trust, faith, obedience, believing, right? We've got to act on what we know. We've got to act on what we know. And here's, here's a powerful verse. And, and sometimes, guys, I'm going to be honest with you. As a pastor, when we go there and we talk about obedience and we talk about transformation, sometimes I think it can be really misinterpreted and taken like, oh man, dude, that was just a, that was just a heavy sermon. It was just pounding us today. That was one of those like, I'm going to leave here like, ugh, right? That is not the heart here. That is not the heart of God, but it's not the heart of, of us here. It's not my heart. In fact, go to 2 Corinthians. Keep going to your right a couple books. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, if you know anything about the book of Corinthians, the church at Corinth was kind of messed up. 
Lots of sinful things happening. The Apostle Paul, with his apostolic authority, he comes in and he brings correction at some times, right? So here's the Apostle Paul, and he, he, he kind of calls him out, says, hey, you got to fix this, right? And then we come to this passage, because some people there, I think, might have been viewing the Apostle Paul in the same way that sometimes we view church leaders who want to preach obedience and repentance and faith. With kind of this version, like, man, he's just angry. We're just like, we're just never too good. You know, he's, he's just always telling us, you know, you know, and you get this negative vibe, right? So the Apostle Paul says, hey, time out, come out, come out, come out. Let me share with you what my heart is for you guys. And I love this because this week it really confirmed for me, I think, 25 years of, of why I believe God has called me to ministry. But in the heaviness of ministry, you know, you get the complaints, you get the, the accusations of you're this and you're that. And sometimes the weight of it, because people misinterpret your heart, it can weigh on you. And you can start to go, Lord, you know, just this weight. And so this verse has been especially profound for me as I'm trying to express my heart to you in transformation. And so look at, look at verse 2 Corinthians 1, and let's start in verse 23. The Apostle Paul said, hey, I'm going to come back to you, but he had a change of plans and he chose not to. So let's read 2 Corinthians 1, verse 23, all the way to 2, 4. Right? It says, I call God as my witness that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your what? Joy, because it, it is by faith that you stand firm. There it is, the connection between joy and faith again. So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you, meaning bringing correction, meaning have to bring discipline. He didn't want to do that. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad, but you whom I have grieved? Who is left to make me glad, but you whom I have grieved? I, write, I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I should not be distressed by those who ought to make me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would all share my joy. For I wrote to you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. See, the Apostle Paul said, hey guys, let me, just, let, me just, let me just be transparent here. It's not about hammering you. In fact, I chose not to come the second time because I think it would have messed you up even more. I would have been Paul the, Paul the hammer bearer. Say, no, I chose not to. I didn't want to grieve you anymore. I trust that you're going to work it out. I've already seen a piece. But he says, look in verse 24. Not that we lord it over your faith. He's like, I'm not to be your dictator. I'm not to be your policeman. I'm not to lord it over you. In fact, in 1 Peter 5, 2 and 3, it's very clear. It says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Here it is, verse 3. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. You see, church leadership, we're not here to lord it over anybody. Now we're called to shepherd, and that might mean correction, and that might mean discipline in love. But look at what he says. What's the reason for it? Not that we lord it over your faith. It's your faith, not mine, by the way. You've got to own your faith. But we work with you for your what? 
joy. Because it is by faith you stand firm. So all of Apostle Paul's heart and all of his reasoning and motive for his people was for their... That's why we're here. If you ever wonder, what does a pastor do? I have people say, you work one day a week, don't you? Yeah. My heart. Bill's heart. Tyler's heart is your joy in your faith. Make sure you finish the sentence. If your joy in your faith in Christ. We're to come alongside you. That word uh, where it says work with is where we get the word synergy. It's working together. It's fellow worker. It's co-laborer. It's companion. See, a lot of us, a lot of us, Look at pastors as like this. That's good enough. Now just do what I say, and everything will be fine. You'll be fine with God, and you'll be fine with this church. And when I need something, I'll let you know. A lot of people look at church leadership as lording it over. That's exactly what it is. Just do what I say, and you'll be fine. The Apostle Paul is saying, hey, that's not me, that's not my heart. My heart is that we are fellow workers. And I'm coming alongside you for your joy. I want you to be joyful in your faith. Now that might mean uh, I might have to speak the truth in love as a brother and as a pastor, but it also means we get to celebrate together. We're just sharing our life together. That's what this is all about. So my prayer for you is, is if you felt like this led like this transformation and you're just hopping on obedience and repentance and there needs to be change, understand it's for your joy. Anybody here ever tell your child that you were doing something for their good? And they had a hard time believing you. <laughs> right? It, it really is for your joy. We're not here to control your life. We're not here to be bored and over you. We're not to all we have here, guys, is the Word of God. And what we believe is the, the correct interpretation of it and the correct application of it. For your joy, we're going to want you to apply it. Because we believe that your joy will come in the joy of the Lord, which is walking with Him. Amen? That's what we do. And God gives us to kind of step back and pray for you. And in praying for you, sometimes He reveals things. Sometimes He shows us things. Sometimes we get a clearer picture because we're not in the midst. And we can bring truth for your joy. It's always for your joy. It is always for your joy. It might not always be pleasant, and you might not always like hearing what we have to say. But if it's based on Scripture, it's the truth in love, which is what we're supposed to do. But it is always for your joy in your faith. See, as a, as a, as a pastor, when I would get counseling calls years ago, I started out, and I would get these counseling calls, and I would want to fix it. Because we're counselors, and they come to us for counseling. So right away, we think we have to fix it. All these years later, even this year, I've been challenged with my approach to counseling. So if someone comes to me for counseling now, you know one of the first things I ask them? Um, why don't you just spend some time, share with me where you are with Jesus. Share with me where you are in your faith. Because if I can discern where they are in their faith, I can then discern not how to fix the issue, but to help, how to help them experience joy in their faith. Amen? And as they experience joy in their faith, by submission and trust in the power of the Holy Spirit, the issue tends to take care of itself, secondary. 
The church, thank you. The church gets caught up in issue fixing, behavioral modifications. When really, my job is your joy in your faith. So first things first, let's talk about how you are, how you're dealing with Jesus. Because uh, Romans 15:13 says God wants to overflow you with peace and joy because you trust Him. How are you doing in the trust area, Diana? Let's talk about your faith, specifically your trust. Specifically, areas that you need to submit in here. Those are the true issues. Those are the, that's the real issue. But it's all for your joy. So turn to the person next to you and say, he's doing it for your joy. Just so you remind him. Go ahead. He's doing it for your joy. Right? He's doing it for your joy. Okay? He's doing it for your joy. Just so you heard it from them. Right? In the weeks ahead, we're going to define this trust. You've got to be real clear on what you believe, too. See, the Israelites, they went away joyful because they understood what they believed. They understood the law. They got it. They were applying it. The question is, are you real clear in your beliefs? Do you know what you're supposed to be believing? Sometimes we take that for granted. That's why, why is he talking about name in heaven and gospel? Because sometimes we're not real clear on that. Are you real clear on what you believe, and do you believe it, right? The title of the message, do you believe what you believe? Do you believe what you believe? Because your life busts you. Not what you say you believe, do you believe it? Your life kind of reveals what you believe. Because you're sitting in those pews. I know you believe, I know you believe that in the, the stability of that pew because your life is you're demonstrating it. That's what he's talking about. That's belief, to act on what you know, right? I love this as an example of this illustration. A woman who had been a staunch church member for years was asked, Tell me, just what do you believe? She replied, I believe what my church believes. But what does your church believe? Came the question. My church believes what I believe. The inquirer then asked, since you believe what your church believes, and your church believes what you believe, what do you and your church believe? She quickly answered, we both believe the same thing. And that's kind of where we live sometimes. We live in like nebulous 20,000 feet land. I believe something about Jesus, something in the past. You've got to be laser clear on what you believe. Because when you're out there and something is prompting you to worry, what do you believe? When you're out there and you've got an issue of forgiveness, what do you believe? When you've got to handle your stewardship issues of money and time, what do you believe? It can't be nebulous. It can't be gray. It can't be, well, I believe what OBCF believes. That's just too funny. You know what I mean? You gotta know what you believe. You gotta know what you believe. Because as you express the belief, the trust, you are filled with joy. You can't, you can't, you can't tuck it away in, in the, in, you can't tuck your notes away and leave here. Because life challenges you and me at the belief level. If you're wondering where your joy is as a believer, ask yourself where your faith is. 
I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm just saying there might be areas in your life where God is asking you, do you really believe? Do you believe? Do you trust me? Are you willing to make a change? Do something practical. And then watch what happens. And then you watch what happens. I want to close with an illustration. I don't put it down just so you can think. Show you a video, something that came out recently. We often encourage you to spend time in the morning, in the Word, in a quiet time. And sometimes we think, well, I'm having a quiet time. How come I don't, I don't, where's my joy? I'm, I'm reading the Bible. I'm praying. Where's my joy? I'm so bored. I'm so apathetic. Well, the real question is, do you believe what you read and do you believe what you pray? Change that dialogue. Do you believe what you read and do you believe what you pray and see what happens when you leave the room? That's the value of spending time with your father in the morning. Is getting understanding of who you are in Christ and what you believe according to Scripture before you head out the door. Amen? This is a video of a little girl with her father each day before she goes to school prepping for what she believes. That, you have one. That should be us. That's quiet time. That's what we mean when we want you to spend time with your Father. That's it. Turn your notes over. Go ahead, turn your notes over. And I gave you some truths that your Heavenly Father says about you. And my prayer for your joy is that as long as it takes, you will spend time and repeat this. Because it's already true about you. So, repeat. I am a child of God. I am love. I am a new creation. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. I am a member of the body of Christ. I am a citizen of heaven. 
I am God's workmanship. I am Christ's ambassador. I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I am forgiven. I am no longer a slave to sin. I am justified. I am valuable. I am gifted. Romans 15.13 says that God will fill you with joy and peace as you trust Him. This is already true. This is already true because you put your faith in Christ. And just like that little girl stands every day before she leaves school with her father being reminded of what's true because Dad said so. See, at her age, there is no doubt. She receives it with zero doubt and full conviction that it's true because Dad said so. Amen? There is no doubt. And then she goes to school and she says that, and they say, who told you that? My dad. If that's not true, no, my dad, my dad wouldn't lie to me. It's true because my dad said so. That is childlike faith. Your dad said so. I don't care what the devil has told you. I don't care what your friends have told you. I don't care what your past is. This is what your father says about you. Just receive it and believe it and walk in it. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you, God. That's just like that little girl spends time with her father before she leaves, ingraining truth that will be the basis of everything that happens to her. We've just read so many truths about who we are in Christ as your children. You tell us in Romans 15, 13, that you want to, you desire to fill us with joy and peace as we trust. Because we have faith. And so, Father, as we sit now, and as we hear this song, a very simple song, perhaps this is a time of confession and repentance between us and you personally about these areas where we're just lacking trust, where we don't believe. Maybe we're lacking joy. And you've shown us today through your word that the lack of joy is really tied to a lack of faith, a disobedience, a hard heart. Whatever it is, may you use this time in this song, just a time of reflection, a time of us coming to the throne of grace through our high priest named Jesus. We come to you, Father.